You're listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. Hey, good morning, church. It is uh, John here. Welcome again to the, uh, the Roanoke Valley House Church. We're so grateful that you're here. Um, we are excited to be uh, online in our house churches and those who, uh, who are meeting in houses this morning. It's so great to have you here. And those who are on uh, Facebook, YouTube, a little bit later this afternoon, we're excited that you're, uh, you're here as well. Uh, we're going to be, uh, as you see here on the screen, we're going to be jumping into the book of Acts chapter 10. And you may be wondering uh, where I am right now, but this is actually a picture that we took uh, a little bit ago uh, in Caesarea, which is uh, where the, the, the location of our text this morning will be. And uh, this is the amphitheater at uh, Caesarea right on the Mediterranean coast. Uh, where we will be, uh, the we'll, where we will be introduced to the great conversion of the Gentiles. So this is a really great, uh, a great scene, and we're going to be jumping into that text. So again, welcome, welcome to our house churches. Just a reminder that uh, after this lesson, we're going to be hopping right on to our our Zoom room, and we'll have all the information following this uh, this lesson this morning. Uh, so we'll have a time of communion and uh, some discussion, uh, prayerfully about about this lesson. So. Amen. We have uh, been studying out the book of Acts, as you see here. We will be looking in Acts chapter 10 uh, this morning, and uh, that'll be an exciting text. And let me just say right now, this is, uh, man, just chock full of, uh, of so much stuff that uh, I really got to make sure I, I keep things simple and on track this morning. There's so many great things here in Acts chapter 10. So if you have a Bible or you're next to someone who does uh, have one, uh, work your way over to Acts chapter 10. Uh, verse 1, and uh, we, to bring us up to speed, we, last uh, last Sunday, we learned about uh, how God wants us to stay in play, and how he wants us to be in the room, and we looked at two miracles, uh, through the name of Jesus, in P- uh, with Peter, uh, and Annas, and, uh, and, and Tabitha, or, or Dorcas, whichever one you went with there, and uh, again, seeing Jesus' dominion over death and disease, but ultimately help us to see how God is moving and bumping us along, uh, both disciples and non-disciples, how we're all interwoven in this into God's great plan to really bring us to a point of salvation and sanctification, where we're continually learning how to become more and more like Jesus. And that's really the, uh, the opportunity that waits out there for us every single day as we bump along in our jobs and maybe even the mundane, uh, what God can do through all of that. So Acts chapter 10 allows us to see, uh, once again, just an incredible opportunity for us to see how God works and for us to really just be in awe by the, by the end of this and uh, how we can practically live all this out. So Acts chapter 10, I'm going to be reading out of the New English Translation. Hopefully you guys can, uh, can follow along here. It's a long text this morning, but I know none of us are adverse to uh, hearing God's Word. So Acts chapter 10, verse 1, again, reading out of the NET. And uh, we'll be reading through chapter 11, uh, verse 18. So here we go. Buckle in. And verse 1 of chapter 10. It says, Now there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was all his household. He did many acts of charity for the people and prayed to God regularly. About three o'clock one afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. 
staring at him and becoming greatly afraid, Cornelius replied, What is it, Lord? The angel said to him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have gone up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon, who is called Peter. This man is staying as a guest with a man named Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who had spoken to him departed, Cornelius called two of his personal servants and a devout soldier from among those who served him. And when he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, while they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing the meal, a trance came over him. He saw heaven opened and an object, something like a large sheet descending, being let down to earth by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and wild birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, slaughter and eat. But Peter said, Certainly not, Lord. I have never eaten anything defiled and ritually unclean. The voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has made clean, you must not consider ritually unclean. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into heaven. Now while Peter was puzzling over what the vision he had seen could signify, the men sent by Cornelius had learned where Simon's house was and approached the gate. They called out to ask if Simon, known as Peter, was staying there as a guest. While Peter was still thinking seriously about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, these three men are looking for you, but get up, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, because I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the person you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, Cornelius the centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to summon you to this house and hear a message from you. So Peter invited them in and entertained them as guests. On the next day, he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting anxiously for them and called together his relatives and close friends. So when Peter came in, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshipped him, but Peter helped him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a mere mortal. Peter continued talking with him as he went in, and he found many people gathered together. He said to them, You know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Yet God has shown me that I should call no person defiled or ritually unclean. Therefore, when you sent for me, I came without any objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. And suddenly a man in shining clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is called Peter. This man is staying as a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you at once and you are kind enough to come. So now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to say to us. Then Peter started speaking. I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people, but in every nation the person who fears him and does what is right is welcomed before him. 
You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John announced. With respect to Jesus from Nazareth, the God, that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things he did both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and caused him to be seen. Not by all the people, but by us, the witnesses God had already chosen, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to warn them that he is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. About him and all the prophets testify that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had accompanied Peter were greatly astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, No one can withhold these people. No one can withhold, excuse me, no one can hold the water for these people to be baptized. Who has received the Holy Spirit just as we did? Can he? So he gave orders to them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for several days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were, who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles too had accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and shared a meal with them? But Peter began and explained it to them point by point, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object something like a large sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came to me. As I stared, I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild animals, reptiles, and wild birds. I also heard a voice say to me, Get up, Peter, slaughter and eat. But I said, Certainly not, Lord, for nothing to follow or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice replied a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not consider unclean. This happened three times, and then everything was pulled up to heaven again. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea approached the house where we were staying. The Spirit told me to accompany them without hesitation. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He informed us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and summon Simon, who was called Peter, who will speak a message to you by which you and your entire household will be saved. Then as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord as he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he also gave us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to hinder God? When they heard this, they ceased their objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted the repentance that leads to life, even to the Gentiles. Wow! Amen! What a text! It's worth reading all the way. I hope, uh, hope you, you saw and uh, were pricked by a lot of those different things. We'll hope to delve into all of that uh, this morning. The title of my lesson is, What a Godsend. What a Godsend. And the beauty of this, you know, Charles Dickens' uh, great novel, A Tale of Two Cities, you're going to see a tale of two visions here, both a vision given to Cornelius and also a vision given to Peter. And what this shows us, even as you look back into Acts chapter 9 with uh, Saul and Ananias, both of them received visions too. You're seeing this, this pattern 
of how God wants to work in the world. And he wants to, uh, he's showing us rather, how he works in those who are seeking him and those who, uh, who are disciples to help them to, or to give them even opportunities to listen to these visions, listen to the Holy Spirit, listen to the word of the Lord and bring people to repentance and salvation. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful partnership and it's a beautiful interplay between God's sovereignty, God's desire for all men to be saved, and for us as, as flawed uh, people who need to continually grow and have our, have our hearts be converted, not just initially by the gospel, but over and over and over again to see the world and see people the way God does. You're getting an opportunity, and I'm getting an opportunity this morning to see that work. And it, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So whether you're seeking God to become a Christian, whether you're asking questions about what Christianity is, what's God up to in the world, how do I become a Christian, or you've been a disciple or Christian for years, and uh, you need the reminder and need the inspiration that uh, any moment there's this interplay available to us and how we can be used uh, to help people to know God. And that's a a beautiful thing here. So uh, what a godsend. And what we see here is that God sends visions to both Cornelius and to Peter. And it's a beautiful thing here. So we're going to look at uh, the, the vision that God sends Cornelius and the vision that sends Peter. And if I had a, a point this morning, this first point is uh, God's work for us. God's work for us. You know, the reality is, is that conversion doesn't happen without God. It's not something that you or I on our own merit or will or drive or even our desires to seek God can be done solely uh, on our efforts. There's nothing you and I can do to save ourselves. Uh, we all at, at some point uh, have, can, can believe that, uh, you know, it's our efforts to, to seek God that ultimately, uh, you know, uh, made God save us. Or there was enough good things, uh, enough searching, enough uh, digging, enough questions that we asked that God's like, okay, uh, th- that's a great, uh, that's a great uh, number of questions. Okay, uh, this, is, this is the time where I'll bestow you with this uh, great gift of clarity. Uh, we all, in, in some ways, seek God. But it's not really just us, and it's not solely up to us. But what we see here in this text is that there was a man in Cornelius who was uh, fervently doing, doing what's right. It, it, it says here that God saw, uh, his, uh, heard his prayers, that's encouraging, and actually uh, had a, a memorial of all of his acts of charity. Uh, you know, Cornelius, a little bit about him, he's a centurion, He's a, in, a Roman captain, if you will, kind of equivalent to an army captain. He's an army captain in Caesarea, which is the, which is the capital of Roman occupation in Israel. Uh, it is the number one spot where Rome uh, launches off its control and jurisdiction uh, or authority throughout all of Israel. So uh, the Jews actually called Caesarea uh, a, daughter of, <laughs> a daughter of Edom, which, which means a place of ungodliness. So Caesarea is a place where ungodliness was, was all over in, in, a Jewish, in a Jewish mind. You can understand why that's the capital of their occupants, uh, those who have occupied the city. But Cornelius there is, uh, is referenced a couple times in this, in this story of uh, being a man who had been given, uh, given charity or given uh, alms or thanksgiving, alms of thanksgiving to the Jews. So here he was uh, actually praying to God, had faith was actually helping build uh, a lot of uh, the, the synagogues through his gifts. So the Jews were looked at him favorably, like, wow, this guy, very similar to 
uh, back in Caesarea uh, in Judea, where uh, Jairus' synagogue ruler was was giving uh, giving alms and giving gifts. So Jairus was giving gifts. So there's these connections here. So this man is uh, is 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 seeking God, uh, but it's but it's not just up to him uh, to bring him to a place of conversion. So God's work for us. We see here that uh, that God does recognize that 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 uh, that Cornelius was praying that God that 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 uh, Cornelius was doing things to really please God, uh, but God's the one that comes in. Verse three, an angel of God came in. Angel shows up, shows Cornelius what to do, and uh, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful a beautiful interplay of both Cornelius seeking God and then God showing up. To help Cornelius, he sets into motion this great plan of having Cornelius having the opportunity to send people to find Peter. Down the line, there with Peter at the same the next day about noon, he's praying, hungry, and then God sends him a vision. You know these beautiful moments where Cornelius is praying and Peter is praying. Peter's praying. Who knows what Peter's praying for? Uh, but Cornelius is praying too. And there's this beautiful moment where God is working at the same time to bring these two men together. You know, with God's work for us, it, it's, it's beautiful and it's encouraging for us to recognize a couple things here. It's encouraging to know that God sees what you're doing. You know, I, I was uh, <laughs> uh, behind a car just the other day and there's a little bumper sticker of Jesus and it says, I saw that. And it has the connotation that, uh, or it kind of like, oh, I caught you. I caught you doing it. Since that guy kind of is seeing you do all the things like, hey, I saw that. But you can look at it in a positive lens too, that you know what? God sees all of this. God sees the times where you pray. God hears your prayers. God uh, sees all that you do behind closed doors. God sees the the heart and the motive uh, to give to, to people, to neighbors, to pray, to prayer, you name it, that God sees all of that. You know, one of my favorite passages in First Chronicles 16 talks about how God, his eyes roam or range about the world, looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully dedicated to him. It's like God's looking. God's, God's not looking to smack you down and say, yeah, I saw that. But God's looking. Say, man, who's, who's seeking me? Who's after me? He's trying to figure it out. Uh, how can I help that? Which disciple is really trying to go after uh, in, in a great way? How can I strengthen them? So while it's not all up to you, God is showing you that he recognizes what you're doing, but conversion and and all this can't happen without God's work for us and God coming in uh, to help Cornelius in a great way and God helping Peter to to be clear about his role in this great story of the Gentiles. So, you know, this being a godsend is that God sends a vision to these two men. What a godsend for Cornelius to have an angel in shining clothing standing there before him and how God interacts with him to get him along the way. You know, God could have come to Cornelius and said, hey man, I hear your prayers. I see your gifts. Keep bumping along, man. That's great. That's awesome. I see what you're doing. And God says, you know what? He needs more. I, I see his righteous deeds. I see his righteous acts. I see his heart for, for, for me and, and my people. But God sends him more, and God sends him ultimately the opportunity to have truth, to be saved, both him and his household, to hear a message by which both him and his household can be saved 
as it says there in Acts 11, verse 13. So what a godsend. And then for Peter, as a disciple of Jesus, has seen so much already, is that God sends him a vision to help him mature and grow. We know it's obvious that Peter is still wrestling with the scrupulosity of the law. He's still wrestling with the sense of, of, of who the Gentiles are. He's wrestling so much so as to, you know what, not just can these men and women be saved, but are these Gentiles clean or unclean? And who am I to say who, who's clean and who's not? But Peter at this point believed he could. He said, they're Gentiles, they're unclean. There's no interaction that I can have with them. I can't. I can actually be hospitable to them, but I cannot cross the threshold to be uh, in their household. I can't receive hospitality from them and still be clean. But God sent him a vision to help him to see a greater picture, to help him drop any discrimination or scrupulosity or prejudices that Peter had. So God's work for us is the beauty of our stories. If you're a disciple, and I'm encouraging you to think about the prayers you prayed, the questions you asked, maybe the pursuit that you had uh, in seeking God, it's still a godsend uh, that, that someone was sent by God to help you hear the truth, to receive a message by which, all men, by which you could be saved. I know that was true for me as a college student uh, after my freshman year. I found myself along the Elizabeth River at Old Dominion University, the dock there. And uh, one heartbreak after the other, I found myself there on the dock just praying, you know, God, if you're out there, just help me to meet people that are really doing it, really going after you. I'm, I'm tired of being a hypocrite, and uh, I've never seen it. So just send me somebody who's really going for it. And it wasn't much longer. It was, the, it was maybe two weeks right before Thanksgiving break uh, where – uh, where, where somebody came and asked me to come to a devotional. And at that point, I was like, uh, I don't know if this is the godsend I was looking for, but it eventually became just that. I know there's stories in our own fellowship here where uh, Paula Bridge, uh, she's not, she, knows I'm not, she doesn't know I'm sharing this, but Paula Bridge prayed, you know what, God, if, if you're real, if you really want me, then you're going to have to send me somebody. And sure enough, somebody was sent to her house to door knock, and boom, here's Paula, now a disciple for 20-some years. Awesome story. Doug Hooper, same thing. God, send somebody into my life. Next day, Reg James, good friend of ours. You might not know him, but anyway, he's down at Virginia Beach. Helped both him and his household become disciples. There's so many stories like that. That's only three, four, but there's so many like that where this combination of God work in us and God using somebody at the same time. Think about God's work in us and how he stirs us to be available, to be available to interact with people. And it's not just um, studying the Bible or helping them become Christians, but it's God. God's people are praying to God for a meal, for a listening ear, for comfort, for shelter, for help, for understanding. And there's been so many times that uh, you find yourself uh, when someone comes up with just the perfect words to share, uh, the perfect time of a text or a phone call, the perfect time for an invitation to dinner, the perfect time for, you know, a, a great benevolent work, uh, you know, whatever it might be, where someone's thinking and sometimes audibly expresses, and that was a godsend. You're a godsend. And it's those beautiful moments where we just got to take a step back and say, whoa, God's working behind the scene in their life and God's working behind the scenes in my life all at the same time to bring us to these glorious opportunities, these glorious moments. So, 
be be blown away by the beauty of every opportunity that's out there. Every decision and every choice that we have really can be uh, a godsend, both for the one you're going to and also for you as you go there. And that's uh, the second idea here is that one, what a godsend, God's work for us. And then secondly, God's work in us. You know, we see obviously in Cornelius, it's a bit more obvious that Cornelius, even though he was righteous in so many ways, he was favored in so many ways that he needed to receive a message of salvation. That God was, God was working in him through the message that Peter brought. And again, verse 33, his heart, amazing, says now we're all here in the presence of God. He, he gathered all of his friends and relatives. He's waiting anxiously. You can kind of see him pacing back and forth, waiting for Peter to show up. Uh, from from uh, from uh, Joppa uh, all the way up to Caesarea, you know, thirty some miles. That's that's a bit of a trek, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and and boom, uh, here they all are. Verse thirty three. So now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to say to us. And Peter is now given this invitation to bring the word of the Lord, bring us the message. And it's not just Peter showing up. Uh, he thinks Peter like, oh, he's amazing. And he falls at Peter's feet and, and worships. And Peter says, yo, get up. I'm just a mere mortal. It wasn't the presence of Peter. It wasn't Peter himself. It wasn't, uh, Peter has to be so great. Peter is the godsend. No, God is sending Peter. And therefore, what Peter brings is from God in a great way. So what he's asking now for Peter is, teach us. Give us everything that God wants us to know. And Peter begins to talk about just that. He talks about the good news of Jesus Christ. He talks about what Jesus was up to in the world. He talks about how he was killed and how he was resurrected. And just a little tidbit there in verse 41. It's not that he just rose, rose from the dead, but we ate and drank with him. You don't eat and drink with a hologram. You don't eat and drink with a hallucination. He, he, you eat and drink with a real person. And he's saying these details to really help them to see that Jesus rose from the dead. He highlights their history and the prophets and how they all testified about him and anyone who believes in his name will receive forgiveness of sins verse 43 and there's this beautiful message that jesus jesus brings and i believe now you know we we could ask for a miracle for god to kind of you know put something in the sky or you know try not to eat for a little bit and go into a trance and see what god's up to it's not always going to happen that way and honestly it's never happened to me that way but where i've seen god work in me is when the word of god is preached when I'm in the Word of God. And I encourage you guys here to see that, you know, God's work in us, yes, it's through listening to His Holy Spirit, but it's also in the very Word of God. Hearing the message. Romans 10 says, faith comes from hearing the message. Second Timothy talks about how God's Word actually can, can, uh, cuts. And, and uh, oh, Hebrews 4 talks about how God cuts, but Second Timothy 3 talks about that it's, it's there for teaching and preaching and rebuking and correcting and training God's word is there for us to really, uh, to show and have God work in us. You know, God is working in Peter here clearly in verse 34 after he sees uh, and hears about what God's vision was for Cornelius. He says there, I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcomed before him. You know, I'm going to camp out here. I'm going to camp out here for a little bit because it's so relevant. It's always been relevant, uh, but this really is a, it's a godsend for Peter to be able to have his eyes opened to see the world the way God does all the more clearly. You know, at this point, the message had just been for the Jews and 
Peter had been bumping up along the Gentiles and 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 Azotus and and Joppa and 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 all and uh, with Annas and, and, and Tabitha, uh, and he was walking across the threshold at, at Simon's house, the tanner. Uh, but Peter needed to see clearly what God was truly up to, to have his heart be converted all the more. And we know that Peter received a vision three different times, had a message within that vision. And I don't know what Peter likes about three times, but it took him three different moments for, for him to get up and say, okay, God, God's up to something. Uh, again, this idea of, you know, kill and eat and, and, and highlighting that, that there's nothing unclean. And it's all about the Gentiles here. And Peter's like, no, nothing's ever unclean. It's ever touched my lips, ever come into my mouth. And he's, he's reluctant at first. But, but Jesus and God continues to harp on these opportunities and these truths to help Peter's heart be converted to recognize that God does not show uh, any favoritism. He's completely impartial. He wants all men to be saved, 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us. But Peter needed that. Peter needed God's work in him. Yes, he'd become a disciple. He's an apostle. He has the gift, a gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to be distributed from the laying on of his hands. But there's prejudice. There's restrictive uh, views. There's a, there's a heart that still needs to be converted to the gospel in some degree. And the truth is, for you and I, there's parts of our hearts that even though we are disciples and we've been converted, we've been born again, we've been made new, there's still areas of our heart that need God to work in them. We need a godsend to help our hearts be softer. You know, the, the reality here of prejudice, the reality of, of racism, the reality of, of, of preconceived notions as to who people are or what they do and what their culture's about. You know, we need God, God sending things to us to help our hearts be softened, you know, look no farther than the last couple of years in our country, and even recently with all the things going on up in Wisconsin and the uh, ultimately with the, the the trials and the decisions of our justice system in Mar Arbery down in Georgia and uh, and and up there with what what happened in, in Milwaukee, uh, you know, these things can can divide. These things can cause anger and uh, lots of different emotions going on. And I think these moments of current current history and also things to come, unfortunately, these are opportunities for our hearts to be converted, for our minds and our hearts to see people the way God does. Uh, Peter needed time and time again the opportunity, and he will again in Acts chapter 15. He's still going to shrink back to some of the prejudiced ways of siding with the circumcision group uh, rather than uh, really giving to the Gentiles in, in public. What am I saying? You and I need God sends all the time to have our hearts continually transformed. You know, for me recently is 2017. Uh, I needed my mind reoriented about mental health. You know, as a as a person, I thought those who had mental health illnesses, those who suffer from depression or anxiety, uh, even personality disorders, some of the things I just didn't understand. Uh, I had an oversimplified view that uh, some of that some of it was just you know decisions they had made, the cry for help. Uh, uh, those who were kind of just deciding to be stuck in those type of things. Uh, those who were kind of manipulating others. Uh, those who had worldly sorrow and just needed to snap out of it. Uh, where mental health was kind of a crutch for a lot of folks to to uh, kind of keep themselves from really pursuing uh, relationships or connection or, or even discipleship. And I saw mental health as a lot of, uh, you know, honestly, I know it's there, but is it really... Uh, 
is it really true? Is that, you know, is, is it a result of, you know, some of these really just biases that I had, uh, restrictive ideas, uh, an ignorance uh, of, of really what's going on there. And for me, it took, it took me actually going through personally mental health challenges, uh, going to counseling, going to psychiatrist, getting diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, uh, taking medication, being able to see what's broken in me and seeing the help that I received for help to help me become empathetic. Uh, I could have studied, I could have read, I could have dove in. I didn't. I needed an interruption to help me to become more empathetic to, to the dire issues of mental health in our country, uh, to help me understand uh, more about what people go through, to help me to be even more relatable and not so proud and stuck up about how I see the world. I believe that was a godsend. It's a weakness, and I don't enjoy it, but it's a godsend to me. Even Paul, later in life, he says that God sent him a, he prayed fervently for this issue to be taken from him, but God said, you know what? My grace is sufficient for you. He wanted that thorn in his flesh to be taken. It was, a, it was hard, but it was a godsend to help him to see God's grace more sufficiently, to help his heart to be converted all the more. You know, with the issues of race and discrimination and prejudices, I, I think that's going to be an ongoing thing for us as disciples, for us as people, to recognize the godsends in our lives, to help us to realize any underlying prejudices that are there, where we can look as Peter, Peter is commanded by God to go without hesitation. You know, what that word means, it's to go without hesitation, is, is to go without distinction. To, to actually not look at the, at the distinctive differences of the person that shows up. To go without hesitation clearly means, yep, I'm going to go, but without distinction. That Don't make this about how these people look. Don't make any judgments about what you see. Just go because I sent them. I sent them. And I think that's the key, is that we look at the world without distinction. Because these are God's people. God wants them to be saved. God wants them to experience hospitality. God wants them to be healed. God wants them to be loved. It's not just about converting people. It's about showing God's love. So are there any, any distinctions that you carry that keep you from, from ultimately showing hospitality? You know, capture the thoughts of when you see a person that's different from you. What thoughts come to mind when you see a person of, of Latin origin? What comes to mind? When you see someone who's black, what comes to mind? When you see a family that's different from yours, what comes to mind? When you see someone driving a certain car with a certain type of rims or a certain street or on a certain street, what comes to mind? When you see someone with tattoos, what comes to mind? When you see someone with, uh, that's smoking, what comes to mind? When you see something, uh, someone dressed up differently, transgender, when you see someone who's, who's a who's dressed like a girl, but it's a boy, what comes to mind? When you see somebody on the street, homeless, what comes to mind? You know, for me, the homeless thing really, really hits hard about how God has been a, a godsend for me lately. And this is something I still got to work on. You know, I see people panhandling on the street, or I see people in Roanoke downtown that are, that are homeless. Uh, my, my first thoughts are, you know, nothing I do for them is going to help anyway. Uh, that they'll probably, you know, if I give them money, they'll probably just get further into the rabbit hole. You know, what, what am I going to do? Uh, what, what, what can I do for them? And it, 
it, it's about them. It's about seeing them. It's about having these choices based on distinction rather than, you know what? God has sent me to love people. God has sent me to interact. God has sent me to be hospitable. God sent them. They're here. They're in my presence. They've come. Let me do something that is like God here. And in reverse, you end up being a godsend for others. You know, what distinctions do you focus on that keep you from, from loving like God wants you to? What distinctions keep you from sharing the gospel? You know, is it a Muslim family? It's like, oh, I can't do that. Oh, it's a Jewish family. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. It's agnostic. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. What distinctions do you focus on that keep you from being confident in sharing the gospel? You know, God is continually working in us as a church, continually working in us to help us to seek him and to know him and to know his plans and know his visions for us. God sends us people in our lives to help us. God sends us, sends us people in our lives to help us become disciples. And I encourage anybody that's watching here that God sends people to you to sit down and let God work through his word, through his spirit to help you to come to truth. And then secondly, God's work in us. Let's discuss about what God is working in us, how he wants us to see the world differently, what scenarios are going on in your life, in your own family, your own kids, at your own workplace, in the world, on the news, where God may be trying to convert your heart to help you to see the world the way he does. This is a tremendous thing, and we'll look more and more as we get into the book of Acts, that even as you may see it, and as you come back home with some clarity about what God has been doing to, see, to send himself to you and work for you and work in you, that it might not be well received by everyone. But the beauty is, is that you'll have that story, you'll have that clarity, and you'll be able to continue to show God in, in the world. And eventually, as we see here at the end of chapter, or the beginning of uh, chapter 11, that those who argue with those radical changes will get to a point where, you know what, I'm convinced, I'm dropping all objections. God really has sent this into our world. So as we reflect on communion, as we reflect in our discussion today, let's think about how God is working for us, how he's organized time and space to help us come to a point where we can work together with his great plan to helping others be loved, shown hospitality, and even be able to hear a message from which them and their whole household can be saved. And let's contemplate and discuss how God is working in us through his word, through scenarios, through circumstances, through our interactions with people, and even the exposure of our prejudices, our ignorance, things that we need to learn so that we can see the world, specifically people, the way God does, so that we can be ready to share the gospel without distinction, to share, the, share hospitality without distinction, and share God's love without distinction. Yeah.